Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class. We're looking at Lord's Day 21, question 54 in the Heidelberg Catechism, and we're talking today about the Holy Catholic Church. And with the help of the Catechism, we're still examining that third section of the Apostles' Creed, which helps us to understand just who the Holy Spirit is and what his work is. And there's a direct link, a connection between the Holy Spirit and the Lord's Church. The Holy Spirit calls and equips pastors and teachers for the church. The Holy Spirit gives men as gifts to the church to build it up. Acts chapter 20, verse 2, and 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. He speaks to his church through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. Revelation 2, and verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So our catechist has taught us about the person and work of the Holy Spirit and he goes on with the creed to expand on the creedal statement about the Holy Catholic Church. He asks in question 54, What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? And the answer we must give is, I believe that the Son of God out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends and preserves for himself by his Spirit and Word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am, and forever shall remain, a living member of it. Now there's a lot in that question and answer. So we'll make a start just by examining the question itself. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. friend of mine who has now gone to glory, had attended a special commemorative service in an Anglican church. I asked him afterwards how that service had gone and whether he'd enjoyed it, and he looked at me a bit suspicious, maybe a bit suspicious of my motives perhaps, maybe thinking I was trying to trick him into saying something theological or doctrinal that he might later regret. Actually, I wasn't. Anyway, he erred in the sight of caution. Aye, says the service was fine. The preaching was great. But I was a bit disappointed when they said that creed thing. You know that thing that says, I believe in the Catholic Church? There's no way I'm going to say that. I'm an evangelical and I'm a Protestant. Well, he was talking about the Apostles' Creed. And he clearly didn't know what the creed meant when it talked about the Holy Catholic Church. So today we're going to try and clear all of that up. According to the Creed, Christ's Church is holy, it is Catholic, and it is a church. Simple. 
Let's look briefly at each of those words. The church, first of all, is holy. Now, I want you to turn with me in your Bible, or look it up later. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. The Bible says here, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And what do we mean when we say the church is holy? The word holy usually translates the Greek word hagios. It can also be translated saint when it refers to a Christian believer. Something which is holy is separated from common use. It is set aside for the purpose of the service of God rather than man. And it is pure. It is pure in the sense of righteously pure, ceremonially pure, or morally pure. In the Old Testament, that meant ritual washing and outward cleansing. But of course, that was just a symbol, pointing us to the reality of the atonement, where Christ washed away all of my sins in his own blood at the cross. In Revelation 1 and 5, it says to him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And that's the song of the redeemed in heaven. In Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul is talking about that relationship between married men and women, he encourages men to love their wives in the same way that Christ loves his church, his bride. As he does that, he gives us a remarkable insight into the nature of the holiness of the church, He tells us there that the church is holy only because of Christ, because we have no holiness of our own. If we claimed that we had, that would be self-righteousness, not Christianity. I'm sure you've heard people accusing Christians of being holier than thou. Well, no true believer would have that attitude. Our holiness comes from Jesus, who was holy, who gave himself for the church, Our righteousness is Christ's righteousness. Our holiness is Christ's holiness. We're sinners who know that we are sinners and who depend only in Christ, who loved us and who gave himself for us. Titus 2 and 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We are only holy because we are in Christ, and Christ is holy. And we are only holy because of the effect of God's word upon our hearts and lives. Paul talks about the washing of water by the word. It's through the reading and the faithful declaration and the exegesis of the word of God that the process of sanctification in the church, being made holy, is worked out in our lives. As the Holy Spirit applies the word of God to our minds, to our will, to our thoughts, to our feelings and emotions, to our outward lives, 
Psalm 119 and verse 9 to 11, is a marvellous application of this. The psalmist asks, how can a young man cleanse his way? Cleansing, sanctification, holiness. The answer is, by taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we're only holy because of Christ. And we're only holy because of the effect of the word of God applied by the Holy Spirit to our hearts and lives. And we're holy because as a Christian church, we're being prepared by Christ for the day when he will take us as his bride. So in that portion from Ephesians, Paul is able to write that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. There will be no spots. There will be no blemish in heaven. The holiness of the church, its separation from sin, its sanctification will be complete. And the implication of that is that the church in this world is never perfect. It is a work in progress, so we shouldn't be too critical of it. Let us be extra careful when as Christians, and especially as preachers, we point the finger at other church groups and accuse them of falling short of perfection, or worse, falling short of our standards. The 18th century Baptist pastor C.H. Spurgeon, defending the church against the constant allegations of its imperfection, wrote the church is not perfect. But woe to the man who finds pleasure in pointing out her imperfections. Christ loved his church, and let us do the same. I think Spurgeon might have had Ephesians 5 and 25 in mind when he wrote that. So we speak of the church as being holy because the church is separated from the world, because the church is called out, and because it's cleansed for God's purposes and for his glory alone, and because it's being made holy. And because the church consists of sinners who are being prepared, being sanctified, being made ready for the day when they shall be separate from sin and made fit to be the bride of Christ. But the church is also described as being Catholic. And that's where my friend got himself a bit confused, because he must have thought that the word Catholic must mean Roman Catholic. It doesn't. The word simply means universal. In fact, Roman Catholic is really a bit of an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. How can something that's universal, Catholic, be Roman, particular? It can be either one or the other, but not both. The word Catholic in the creeds and confessions simply implies that true believers in Christ are all part of one church in every age and in every nation. But then there's another problem. What exactly do we mean by universal? We can say the word Catholic means universal, but surely we need to define what universal means. And the problem is that there are people in the visible church who refer to themselves as universalists. People who believe that Christ's death on the cross effectively saved every single member of the human race. 
Christians, of course, but non-Christians too. Even though they don't acknowledge Christ as Saviour, these universalists say they will be in heaven. Because Christ's death atones, they say, for every human being's sin, Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and pagans and atheists and even Satan worshippers. That's sometimes called universalism. But that's not what the creed means by Catholic, universal. Rather, it means that the true church, the church that God alone sees, what we might refer to as the invisible church, is made up of every single true believer from every age. It is the whole number of the elect. When God looks at his true church, when he looks at the number of the redeemed, it includes every single believer from every age, from every status, from every colour, from every nation under the earth. One day it will meet. In Revelation 7 and 9, John writes, After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches, in their hands. Well, lastly, and although this may sound a little obvious, the church is a church. Let me explain. The church consists of gathered saints. That's what a church is. We are gathered into one. We are one because of our mutual election. The word church simply translates the Greek word ecclesia, a called out assembly. God has called out, he has gathered his people and they have a common bond for they have all tasted his grace, his undeserved love for sinners. There are two main metaphors used for the church in the New Testament. The church is spoken of as being the bride of Christ. Now, if you've got time this week, actually I suggest you take time this week, read the biblical account of how Jesus changed water into wine in John chapter 2. Now, when you've done that, ask yourself why Jesus would perform a miracle like that. Well, the clue is actually in John 2 and verse 11. It says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. But looking at that miracle, and watching the events at Cana, what would those new followers of Jesus believe? What would they understand about him? A wee bit of context will help here. The responsibility to provide sufficient wine at a wedding feast was resting solely upon the bridegroom. It was his responsibility. Now the wine ran out. The bridegroom of that wedding hadn't provided enough. And so in miraculously providing wine, Jesus is subtly showing his disciples that he is the coming bridegroom. And that must have stuck in their minds. The analogy of Christ as the groom, the church as his bride, continues from that point right throughout the New Testament until we reach the very end of time itself. When we have in Revelation the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The psalmist in Psalm 45 depicts this 
great marriage supper of the Lamb in poetic language. I think we should sing those verses together. Psalm 45 verse 10 to verse 17. The words are from Sing Psalms and they're in the episode notes and the tune is Stockport, Yorkshire. O daughter, listen and give ear to me. Forget your people and your father's house. See how your beauty has enthralled the king. Give honour to your lord and royal spice. church the bride of Christ, but the church is often referred to in the Bible as the body of Christ. Colossians 1 and 18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 and 23, Paul writes that he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we are the body of Christ, and in his body we all are members, we all have a part to play, we all have different functions. And as we have already seen in a previous lesson, the head of that body is our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as our head is in heavenly glory, in the presence of the Father, so we too have this guarantee that one day we will be there also. 
Uh, we don't know who's in the church. Only God knows who are truly his. The church that we see is not at all the same as the church that God sees. The people he has chosen and redeemed. But God knows every single one of his people. He is intimately acquainted with every one of them. In Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7, we read, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. In Second Timothy 2 and 19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. So we've taken a look, a very short and cursory look at the church. The church which is holy, Catholic, and a gathered assembly of true believers in Christ. In our next lesson, God willing, we shall see how Jesus gathers his church, how he defends his church, and how he preserves his church. And we'll explore how and why he does that. So thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you would like to help to get the podcast better known, there's a really easy way that you can do that. Go onto your podcast app on your phone or your mobile device. Search for the Semper Reformata podcast. Subscribe to it. And if your podcast app allows you to, give it a five-star rating. And that will help others to find the podcast more easily. So thanks again for listening.